This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Hardwood Knox listeners. If you're like me, you can be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of content that is available to you on a daily basis. What is worth reading? What's not reading? How do you keep up with your favorite team, your favorite league? It's all so overwhelming sometimes. Axio Sports has a solution. They're a free, curated daily newsletter that will send you the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. You can set up your free account at sports.axios.com and get this content that you want, that you need, delivered directly to your email inbox each and every day. What are you waiting for? sports.axios.com sign up for free again sports.axios.com hey yo hardwood knox listeners i am dan favalli coming at you with my super duper incredibly esteemed awesome times awesome fantabulous spectaculario Lives in a place where there is snow in October, and he friggin' loves it, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started with the wet, or the rest, excuse me, of our Northwest Division Preview featuring the Timberwolves, Blazers, and Denver Nuggets, you can also check out Part 1 where we did the Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Just our usual housekeeping notes slash please. The first one, as always, continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. Pretty, 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 pretty please. We love seeing the ratings numbers go up. We've seen some great reviews written in the past couple weeks. Keep those coming. Five-star ratings only. Come on. You can leave feedback in the comment section, stuff you don't like, stuff you love, stuff you want to hear more of, guest suggestions. We're always open to hearing those. You can also find us wherever else you get your podcasts, but iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there and you are listening. If you have subscribed, which is definitely the most important thing, please, any recommendation type actions you can give us is appreciated. Uh, the easiest one, just retweet us when we're promoting the podcast, help us get the word out there, or you can give us shout outs yourself, or you can steal people's phones and subscribe them to the Hardwood Knox podcast and know that they'll thank you later. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox, then follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli, that's F-A-V-A-L-E. And last but certainly not least, you can follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. I help run the social media accounts there, so you can check out all my fire tweets in addition to giving a look-see to one of our many, many strong podcasts that are on the network. And with that all out of the way, we get to the question that everyone is always dying to know the answer to. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, that was There was... I sent... I picked up no lies in that intro. I had a hard time finding which word to use, and I'm not sure I found it um, because I really do like the snow. My wife disagrees with me, but uh, I I love heat. Life. So, <laughs> so 
So yeah, I'm I'm ready and raring to go. I had to scrape some ice and snow off my windshield, but here we are, ready to do this. Um, yes, before we get into the teams, we have another edition of Swoll or Troll, which we have neglected over the past couple of weeks because we've been pumping out season preview content with guests, and I don't want to subject them to Swoll or Troll as awesome as it is. We have a couple responses in addition to some of my own that I'm throwing in there. Whenever we solicit these swole or troll candidates, please come on, throw us some suggestions. We like hearing from you. You're great with the mailbags. Uh, maybe try and be a little bit better with this. If you could pretty, pretty please again. Um, the first one comes from one of our most loyal listeners, Miroslav at MCU KMF nuggets versus jazz in the Western conference finals. Swole or troll. Ooh, I'm going to say swole. I like it. Yeah. I don't know why that's a troll. Those are two of the better teams on paper in the Western conference. Yeah. The thing about trying to figure out what the Western conference finals is going to be is it, that you could legitimately pick like six different teams, maybe even more. I don't know. Um, we've, we've had this conversation many, many times in the last few months, but it's not just warriors versus everyone else anymore. It's, it's wide open. This is kind of akin to saying that these two teams will be two of the top three seeds in the West then basically. I mean, I know there could be other seeds and there are upsets, but that might be the most effective path mm-hmm. to them meeting in the Western. And even that, if you tethered it to such a, a finite outcome, I still don't think that that's a troll job. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's a troll at all. This one I love from at comrade Novoselli, C-O-M-R-A-D-E-N-O-V-O-S-E-L-I, Coach Bud's beard, swole or troll? Um, beards are always swole. I want to say troll because I can't grow a beard, but I'm inclined to agree <laughs> with you. So Mine's not real great either, to be honest. Um, but I just, I loathe shaving. So I'm, I'm all for the beards. I grow like a checkerboard on my face. They're like <laughs> these patches that just grow really dark hair. And then the rest of it is just skin or blondies, whatever you want to call it. So if I really mm-hmm. let it grow out, I'm going to look like a chess or checkerboard or something. <laughs> Mine's good if it's like a week old. Much, much beyond that is problematic. This one's from me. Uh, but Rich Paul, I don't know if you read Dave McMenamin's piece at ESPN.com about in going inside the Anthony Davis trade and then subsequently <laughs> listen to the Low Post podcast. Rich Paul effectively said if Anthony Davis was on the Bucks, they would have made it out of the Eastern Conference last year and that that was the difference between Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Dave McMenamin told Zach Lowe, that this comment came fairly unsolicited. It wasn't like he asked him, oh, is Anthony Davis better than Giannis Antetokounmpo? Swoll or troll? Troll. Yeah, I don't – he's got to say what he's got to say for his client. I, I get it. He's an agent. But I, Giannis is clearly better to me. Um, Anthony Davis is incredible, and especially, like, the way he was playing before the trade request, um, he was phenomenal. But I, I don't think – to me, it, it it actually is pretty clearly Giannis. I know some people might push back on that a little bit. Maybe Davis is a better shooter. Um, but I, I, I think Giannis is quite easily better. And I think there's a there's a pretty easy argument that he is more of a make-your-teammates-better kind of a guy than Anthony Davis is, which is, I think, the gist of what Rich Paul was saying. Um, <laughs> so that one's... That one's a troll for me. Maybe not in Rich Paul's mind, but it's certainly it, – I'm, I'm not with it. Yeah, I'm just going to say that if you put Giannis Antetokounmpo on last year's Pelicans, they're a postseason team. That would be – Yeah. I, I'd be more inclined to go 
that way. And that's not disrespect to Anthony Davis, who's a top seven player right now. And there's an easy case that he's top five. They were advanced. The, the catch-all metrics effectively said he was like the second best player in the NBA for a really long time last season. Giannis Antetokounmpo is better. My other takeaway from this is that I guess Rich Paul isn't concerned about ever potentially trying to sign Antetokounmpo, who's, yeah. whose reps are from Octagon Basketball right now. I guess that's not really a thought in his mind. I know you have to go to bat for your client, but I thought one of the other rules was don't kind of rankle potential future clients, but just me. Uh, this is another Antetokounmpo-related swoller troll, and it's twofold. The NBA finding the Bucks. this is going a while back, both of these, for talking about offering... Giannis a supermax after this season and then the NBA subsequently posting a picture on Twitter of Tanasa's Attentacumpo in a la- in his Lakers jersey but they only photographed the back where it just said Attentacumpo <laughs> and you could see it in the Lakers jersey swoller troll troll that's an easy one that's like a little bit of a flex though too just because it's <laughs> like to to go and find the Bucks, but then to post that picture. Um, and what's not? Why am I uh, screwing it up? It's not uh, Tanasis that was on the uh, on the Lakers. Yeah, sorry. Excuse me. Um, I think I just like saying Tanasis. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be upfront <laughs> about you. So he'll always be a Nick to you. Yeah, that's why. Um, I, I I'm gonna go with a flex. Uh, it's a troll to find the Bucks, but then it's really just a flex to post that picture in the way that they did. <laughs> I'm sticking with Troll all the way on this one. All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Swole or Troll. It'll be back next week. Probably, hopefully, most definitely, maybe. Who knows? Following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. And again, it's free. Who doesn't love free? Sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, You'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, absolutely nothing. This is free, curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. On to the rest of the Northwest Division. We're going to wrap up by going in reverse winning percentage order which makes us start with the minnesota timberwolves who were 36 and 46 last year dealt with some i guess you'd call it turmoil or had a case of the tour de forces at the beginning of the year some notable additions for them jake layman jared culver jordan bell noah vonley shabazz napier travion graham tyrone wallace notable exits anthony tolliver Cameron Reynolds, Dario Saric, Derek Rose, Luel Dang, Taj Gibson, and Tyus Jones. Andy, we're go- we're changing this to basically fast five or, or sexy six, where we're just going to alternate instead of overloading the listeners with uh, all our different takeaways and observations about this team, hopefully to move this along quicker as well. What do you have uh, for the Timberwolves to, to start? First of all, I love that you said a case of the Tour de Forces. Um <laughs> I forgot about that tweet. 
A lot of Minnesota players left Timberwolves practice today, energized by Butler's performance, mesmerized with him taking end of the bench players and running the table on the regular, sources said. At the end, he marched out like if a mic, like if a, oh, marched out like if a mic drop. I don't know if he, that, that's some sort of typo. Butler delivered a tour de force. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski's weird sentence structure at the end killed my dramatic delivery there, but that tweet is amazing. Um, my first question is, is Andrew Wiggins done? Like, is, is he a finished product or are we going to get something different out of him this season? There's been some talk this summer, uh, from Ryan Saunders about trying to revamp his shot profile and maybe that helps him a little bit. Maybe he becomes more of a playmaker. Um, but I, I, I think there's uh, reason for concern whether any of that will actually happen because we're entering year six um, and there hasn't been a ton of development from from year one to year six um, or year one to year five his rookie season he averaged 17 points four and a half rebounds two assists his uh, fifth year the one that we just finished uh, the one where he particularly had a case of the tour de forces he averaged 18 points, just under five rebounds, two and a half assists. Um, his numbers have been pretty much the same for five years. So I'm just wondering if there's some other notch or, or level that we're going to see from Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, that would be one of mine. I won't use it because you did, obviously. It does seem maybe he'll have more opportunity just because Jimmy Butler's gone, Derek Rose is gone. What type of responsibility, though, is he going to be saddled with really and the offense is going to run through Carl Anthony Towns as it should but you do also have Jeff Teague on this roster not the most ball dominant point guard uh are you going to give Wiggins a chance to kind of really run point forward uh this ties into one of my questions about this team is I want to see what Jared Culver's role looks like and I think that's going to be directly impacted by how much faith or volume the Timberwolves are going to entrust with Andrew Wiggins I'd like to see Culver kind of run some point forward or or point wing there were a lot of questions about him leading into the draft is he going to have the explosion to create separation against nba defenses and and i just think when you look at uh, the type of defender that he can be just sort of a sturdy six seven um and the fact that he did work on the ball a good amount in college i really would like to see him get that opportunity and, and wiggins definitively cuts into that you almost have to give Wiggins that opportunity because of what you're paying him over the next few years Mm -hmm. it would be cool maybe to see a lineup where you go without a point guard and run with Culver and Wiggins and and maybe Josh Okogie and Covington and then Towns just all those different um, wings uh, many of whom are good defensively with the exception of of Wiggins and Culver will be a rookie so there's a curve there but Okogie's kind of just this low-key bulldog and then Robert Covington is one of the best team defenders in the NBA uh, maybe I'm spoiling the, the lineup I want to see from them, but I'm definitely going to be watching to see what they do with Andrew Wiggins and then how that maybe impacts what they're, what they're going to do with Jared Culver. Yeah. Um, my next word, go ahead. Let's do yours next. I, my, well, that was is, mine. Jared Culver was mine. So, okay. Back to you. So that's a little bit of overlap too, because Culver is, is certainly something that I'm interested in as well. And maybe mine, um, We'll sort of expand on that a little bit, but I, I think there's a question for the Timberwolves this season as to like who who is the legitimate second piece of this core. I mean, Towns is an obvious one. Wiggins, you're paying 
Max money to, but we the questions regarding him are well documented. Um, Jarrett Culver is he the one just because there's still the the veneer of uh, you know he hasn't played a game yet and um, is it Josh Akogi? I don't know. I, it's I, to me it's a legitimate question as to if there actually is a second piece of the core right now. Yeah, that that's a definitely a valid question. I don't think that you could say that it, it should be Andrew Wiggins just because he's being paid like it. We're entering, this is year six of their Andrew yeah. Wiggins experience. That's, you yeah. can't, I, I know he's lacked role continuity, but he just, when you look at his catch and shoot numbers, when you look at his pull up jumper numbers, there's just no semblance of consistency anywhere where you can look at him and say, this is the right role for him. I've, I've also even toyed with, do they just bring him off the bench and try and go after second units? That way yeah. the optics wouldn't be great there because he's still young and, He's owed $122.2 million over the next four years. And if you're hoping to up his trade value, I'm not sure bringing him off the bench in more of a limited role helps, but that's for sure a valid question. Mine's sort of similar, but it has nothing really to do with who's the number two. I just want to see their their offseason, because they whiffed on D'Angelo Russell, I think it's flown under the radar a little bit. Um, They could have done more if they fancied themselves a playoff team. I see them acting as a a squad under... uh, Gerson Rosas that's that's going to really favor the long term. And so they, they did these just sneaky good pickups when you look at Jake Lehman, Noah Vonley, um, getting Shabazz Napier and, and Travion Graham, Jordan Bell even. Can how many of these guys are gonna pan out? Who is it going to be that pans out? I know you're really interested in the the Jordan Bell, Carl Anthony Towns mm-hmm. front court. I wouldn't mind seeing them go hyper small and throw Travion Graham at the four with Carl Anthony Towns. Uh Jake Lehman, I, I know he's been a three during his time with Portland. If you can maybe get some minutes for him at the four, I think that's where he probably fits better defensively. There's just a lot of intrigue surrounding those guys. And you know how I feel about Noah Vonley. Had some really good moments with the Knicks last year on on the offensive end, and he's a little bit more mobile than people give him credit for on the defensive end. Are they going to hit on any of these guys? And, you know, it's it's a problem if Noah Vonley performs really well and they have to worry about resigning him next year. But this is what you need to do as an organization in kind of the early stages of rebuild is rebuild or reboot uh, these, these player values, take these low cost flyers. And, and they have not just a couple, but I would say a bunch of tantalizing ones on the roster right now. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And you're right. I, I am big on the possibilities for Jordan Bell. I, I think they have a lot of interesting youngish players. And, and like you said, maybe their off season flew under the radar a little bit. Um. My last one is is similar to what I did with Wiggins, it, except for it's not will he take a next step. It's more what's the next step for Carl Anthony Towns because off I, I don't know if there's anything else he can add offensively. To be honest, he he's ridiculous. Maybe a little bit more passing, um, but I actually think he might be slightly underrated there. He doesn't pass as much as a guy like um, Jokic, obviously, but he he's shown some interesting. Um, Ability as a passer, he's he's one of the best shooting big men in the history of the game already, in my mind. Um, so the natural conclusion is, if he's going to take a next step, or, or what his next step will be, it'll probably be as as more consistent and impactful defensive anchor. Um, and if I I don't I don't really know what the ceiling is for Carl Anthony Towns because the numbers he's put up through the first four seasons of his career are are historic. Um, so I'm just interested to see at, at what specifically is the next step for him. Yeah, I won't pick a Carl Anthony Towns one, but that's certainly something to consider. He's just, he's such an offensive force already 
where even if you look at the time he spent on the court last year without Jimmy Butler or Derrick Rose, who was good for them for a lot of the year on the floor, the Timberwolves had a 112.9 offensive rating. Uh, that's in the 74th percentile, and that's a, that's a sample size of more than 3,100 possessions. Uh, they were actually a net positive in those minutes he played without Butler and Derrick Rose as well. And so this is, I wouldn't peg the Timberwolves as a playoff team or really even a fringe playoff team, but I do think this is a team when you look at Carl Anthony Towns in the vein of this is a potential top 10 player that's going yeah. to win some games, uh, rack up a win total that maybe people don't expect to round out the sexy six. I'm kind of just wondering if this team has a trade in it and I won't go along the lines of a win now trade, but if Andrew Wiggins has any sort of value where they can get off of him without having to include a first round pick or, or prospect. And maybe it's a matter of taking a contract that has two years left on it or something like that. Would they do it? Uh, Gorgie Jang, he has only a year left after this one. It's at $17.3 million, but is there a trade where, where maybe they consider taking back even a longer deal or perhaps a, a worse deal uh, by moving him? Jeff Teague's on an expiring $19 million contract. What sort of move does this team have in it uh, it doesn't have a point guard of the future right now, I would say. That's why a lot of people don't think they would even consider moving Teague because you might be able to get him for cheaper in free agency next summer, and you still do need that point guard. I'm just interested to see if there's there's any activity because this team doesn't really necessarily look like a let the chips uh, fall where they may this season. It feels like something will happen. I know the popular suggestion has been uh, a Covington and Teague for – uh, D'Angelo Russell from the Warriors, plus there need to be other salary going out from Golden State. And that I don't think that'll happen just because if you're the Warriors and you gambled on D'Angelo Russell to that extent where it cost you effectively Andre Godala and two first round picks, you are going to want more than Covington and Teague on an expiring contract. So I, I'm just this team to me is one to kind of monitor. Uh, towards the trade deadline as we get into the season. It's not that they are overwhelmed with trade assets, but they also have contracts that are sort of begging uh, to to come off the books. And if they're so bad, does Robert Covington enter the trade market fold? Where if this team's tanking, I would give up two first-round picks if I'm a contender for Robert Covington. And I know he has about two years and $25.1 million left in his contract after this year. His timeline just doesn't perfectly line with a team that's thinking about starting over. And so I could see him being one of those surprise trade candidates if the Timberwolves are worse than they're projected to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that brings us to the, the these quick hitters. Um, so let's start with, is this team going to grade out higher on the offensive or the defensive end? I'm going to go offense on this one. Um, they've got some defensive problems in Teague and Wiggins and potentially uh, Towns and Covington's an amazing defender. And I was tempted to spoiler alert, have him as like my strongest year end candidate or year end award candidate with defensive player of the years. Cause I, I think he's a phenomenal defensive player. Um, but I, I think there's more question marks on defense than there are on offense with this team. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty clear. Any team that's going to have Carl Anthony Towns in the middle and, and going to rely on Andrew Wiggins probably for 2,000-plus minutes this season, I think you yeah. have to have to kind of pick offense there. Although it did really seem that they – statistically, they were better defensively in the time that uh, Covington played on the floor for them when he came over. And so maybe they could be closer to a league average defensive team. Uh, I believe last year they finished, what was it, 21st in defensive efficiency? It was 24th, excuse me. Uh, that's something that I do think they have the personnel to improve upon. When you look at uh, a Kogi who's a year older, uh, you have 
you know, you have Jared Culver, maybe he's better better defensively than a rookie. If you get any improvement from Carl Anthony Towns, lineups that have Covington uh, at the four. So that's just, you know, th- those are all things to consider for them too. But I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, breakout candidate for this roster. I went with Jordan Bell. Uh, you mentioned him earlier as a player that intrigues me. And uh, he, he had a really good, you know, advanced metric-wise rookie season. Um, pulling it up right now. A 3.7 box plus minus, which is, I mean, that's really high. I, I'm not going to look it up right now, but I would guess that, that you know, with, with his minimum minutes, that was probably a top 40 to 50 box plus minus that season. And then he just kind of fell off a cliff for the Warriors last season. So I'm really curious to see if he can bounce back. And I think he's a good complementary piece to Towns, too. He doesn't he he's hasn't shown any three point range of any kind. He's 0 of six from three in his career. Um, but he he does a lot of the dirty work type things that that maybe Carl Anthony Towns doesn't do as much of. And Towns shooting can kind of mitigate Bell's lack of shooting. Um it's kind of the inverse of what we saw from a lot of front courts in the, the aftermath of Dirk Nowitzki coming over where the, the shooting big was the four and the five did all the dirty work. Um, you you kind of have that from the four with Bell and the shooting from, from the five and Towns in this situation. So I'm really curious to see if those two play a lot of minutes together and what they look like. I'm going to go with another big uh, Noah Vonley on this team. He just his season in New York was was really just kind of low key. Uh, he's not the quintessential floor spacer, but he hit forty one point two percent of his long twos, um, shot almost thirty six percent on no dribble threes last season. So he gives you enough range to work the pick and pop, and to where if you put him on the floor with Carl Anthony Towns, you can say, "Hey, we have this five out lineup, provided the other three players on the floor can can shoot threes. Uh, he's sort of undersized if you want him to use him as a center. But at 6'9", to play alongside Carl Anthony Towns, uh, he can be a so-so rim protector, uh, so-so rebounder, and so Towns is going to gobble boards up on the glass anyway. He seems to me to provide them with more defensive flexibility than a Jordan Bell would. And so when we're looking at these bigs on the roster, who's going to become the one that logs the second most minutes? If you consider Robert Covington a four, I still wouldn't call him a big. Um, and so then it moves to after him, and, and that probably is going to be a competition between Vonley or Bell unless Minnesota still has hope in, in Gorgie Jang. Yeah, I could see that. They've, they've got a, you know, multiple interesting youngish guys on the roster for sure. Who's your strongest year-end award candidate for this team? Um, like I said, I was tempted to go with Covington, even though wings winning defensive player of the year is pretty rare. And then I just thought, well, Minnesota's defense isn't going to be close to good enough team wise for him to get legitimate consideration. I went with Andrew Wiggins for most improved player. How do you like that? Uh, I'm not sure that I do, but I'm, I'm interested to hear. You. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's, there's a little part of me that thinks all of the talk from Ryan Saunders and everyone else around the Timberwolves this summer might, something might actually come to fruition for the first time. And like we've said a few times now, um, over five years that he's been in the NBA, uh, maybe his shot profile improves. Maybe he adds a little bit of playmaking. Um, his numbers bounce back at least like raw number wise back to where they were before the Tom Thibodeau era adds a little efficiency. Um, 
I don't know. The other the other reason I kind of picked him is it's it's hard to find legitimate year end award candidates. Other than that, if we're going to eliminate stuff like All NBA, which you know that's an that's an easy one for Towns. I don't think Towns is going to rise up to the level of MVP consideration. Um, I don't know who on their team would be a legitimate six man candidate. So I I think it was almost like default. I went with Wiggins for most improved. Yeah, I, I guess that's a fair default. I went with a default of my own, though. I thought about picking Covington for most improved player, so same player, different award than you. I just ultimately don't know if they would give him the role expansion on offense. He's not someone that you want with the ball in his hands, and they don't. I don't know that they have a reason to test that out when you have Wiggins and Teague and Napier and, and Jared Culver and even Josh Kogi on the roster. So I went with Jared Culver for Rookie of the Year. I don't know that he's actually going to have the volume necessary but they, they did kind of go in on him, trading the pick that becomes Cameron Johnson and, and Dario Saric for him. And so this is, it doesn't seem that they're Atlanta Hawks level high on DeAndre Hunter. And when you're talking about uh, the fact a lot of people, I don't think, expect him to start. I, I think the, the starting lineup projects to have Wiggins and uh, a Kogi in it before they do uh, Jared Culver. That could hurt him, but just looking at the opportunity he could have where if he's not going to start, I think you would say he's there sixth man um that might add to more reps than than maybe some of the other top rookies it's going to be tough to beat out zion williamson of course tough to beat out john morant when there's no point guard in front of him in memphis but when you look at other rookies i don't think it's a stretch to say that he could be one of the three or four that are going to get the most opportunities by sheer volume and, and that could in theory then buttress his rookie of the year case yeah i think that's fair actually i, I probably should have given that more consideration than I did, but you brought up Zion Williamson and that, that would be the kicker on that one for me. Um, we move on to the player most, Oh, and I'm sorry, the lineup you're dying to see from this team. Um, I want Culver at the one. So that's, that was sort of the starting point for this. And then I tried to fill it out with as many wings. Um, so I've got Culver at the one, a Kogi at the two Wiggins at the three Covington at the four and cat at the five. Um, because like you've you've said a few times over the course of this pod is it'll be interesting to see what kind of playmaking chops um, Culver has as as the lead dog um, in that sort of a role. So that that's the main reason I'm I'm going with the lineup I'm going with. I want to see uh, also I guess you can call uh, Culver the one in this scenario. I think you would have to. Um, then Josh Okogi with Robert Covington, Carl Anthony Towns, and I didn't really know what to do with this fifth spot. I was tempted to just say Noah Vonley. Uh, him or, or Jake Lehman. I'm kind of undecided there. Towns and Vonley give it more of a traditional front court feel, which I feel like would be uh, a little odd if you're if you're going with a wing like Culver at the one. At the same time, that lineup is then all of a sudden kind of it's not big, but it is also big because you're looking if if Culver's your point guard and he's six seven, uh, Kogi's he's about the right size to, to guard twos, and then you go with. Uh, Robert Covington at the three with, with Vonley at the four and Towns at the, the five. There is just good size and I, I would say some defensive malleability in that in that lineup. And so that's something I'd be looking to see from them. Of course, now all of a sudden you have like $50 million plus on the bench with Teague and, and Wiggins. So I don't know how much, how, how often that happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a certainly a consideration for them. Player most likely to be traded on this team. I was tempted to go Wiggins here. I still think that's 
probably going to be a pretty tough contract to move. I, I guess there could be some team that convinces themselves, well, he's got the pedigree and he just he hasn't had the right um, system or coaching or organization around him. Maybe we can be the, the answer um, and just bet on the talent. But I went with Teague because it's it's like decent salary matching money. It's an expiring contract. Um, but I actually think there's there's a decent number of guys who who have the potential to be traded on this team. You mentioned Georgie Dang as well, or Jang, Georgie Jang. Uh, hopefully, I pronounced that right. Um, there, there's a bunch of options. I just I just kind of went with Teague because of uh, I think ultimately the the expiring contract is what swayed me. Yeah, same here. The, the dare to be bold pick would be Covington for the reasons I laid out before uh wiggins is just it's tough because all that money is left on his contract and i just don't know what team even gambles on it maybe wiggins for nicholas batum is something that charlotte yeah. considers uh, but you know if they're just about to kind of get out of salary cap hell in the next two years then again they did commit you know three years and way too much money to to terry rozier so but that's like one of the, <laughs> the few situations that i could see maybe possibly working out. I just don't know what other team is going to be the one that talks themselves into Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, I don't, I just, your mention of Charlotte was um, intriguing to me. One that I hadn't thought of, because I think it is kind of hard to come up with real situations. Timberwolves were 11th in the West last year. Where do you think they'll finish in the West this year? I went with a wide open range here and I left the door cracked for the playoffs. I said eight to 14. I don't think they'll make the playoffs, um, but it's just it's such a mess uh, up and down the Western Conference. There's the first group, like one through six or seven, that's impossible to predict. And then I think there's another group after that that's impossible to predict. And I think the only thing that's close to a sure thing is Memphis at 15. But I'm not even like I'm not even 100 percent confident on that. Yeah, um, I haven't been going with ranges. I've just been trying to pick like not a worst case or best case scenario, but like a 50 percent at the medium. I think it's 11 for this team, again, just because you look at every squad that finished in front of them uh, the o- last year. The only one that I could see maybe falling behind this year is Oklahoma City Thunder, and that's assuming they trade Danilo Gallinari, maybe Chris Paul as well during the middle of the season. But there are teams behind them that could replace them. I would think that they're better than the Suns and the Grizzlies, but I wouldn't be ready to guarantee that. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would think that they're better than the Mavericks too. Dallas fans definitely have to hate me by now, but I wouldn't guarantee that either. And then the Pelicans... They could be better than them, but I don't think they'll end up being better. So there should be at least one team that leapfrogs whatever team falls behind the Timberwolves. And so 11th feels like kind of a, a happy medium for, for them once again. Boldish, yeah, I think that's fair. Boldish prediction for the Timberwolves. Uh, mine is, it goes along with an earlier prediction of mine. I, I think Wiggins is decent. There's my bold prediction. And I'm, <laughs> I can't go much further than decent. <laughs> I think this is the season that, maybe this isn't bold enough that Carl Anthony Towns becomes a consensus top 10 player. He's gotten a bad rap because he's not a great defender and the Timberwolves have not had a ton of success with him. The Jimmy Butler requesting out and the rumors that he wasn't impressed with Wiggins and Towns' worth ethic, I think kind of colored the perception of him a little bit too. But the guy is an, an all-star, all-NBA caliber player. He could be in the MVP conversation if he's ever on a playoff team. I don't think they've given him the tools yet to say, if he doesn't enter the MVP conversation, he's failed. There needs to be the element of winning there, and the Timberwolves just aren't yet built to do that. But Towns, just as offensive masterminds, and if he's going to get even more touches this year just to, to see his usage rate sort of elevate, that that's going to be a, a huge for his case. And, and so I don't, 
I wouldn't say he's going to fly under the radar, but it wouldn't surprise me if his usage rate is above 30 this season and we just see him uh, put up historical numbers again on historical efficiency. Once again, I do worry about maybe how he'll shoot the three ball on on this team. When you look at they don't really have a bunch of high-level creators around him to open up the floor, but he did just fine last year, uh, true shooting of over 62. I think this is just the year where we look at it and say, you know, there's always that towards the end of the top 10. It's where do we put Lillard and 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 um, Lillard and Kyrie or Rudy Gobert, all those names that get thrown out there, Paul George. I just think Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a certified top 10 player by the end of the season. I can dig that. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. During that time, the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls. They didn't need heated handles. And neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me the closest shave ever with an easy glide. And the razors come at a low price. Do us a favor. Check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. It comes out to just $2 per blade. Harry's is also just super convenient. Blade refills are shipped right to your house when you sign up for a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of Hardwood Knox can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. That means that we get to move on to the Portland Trailblazers. They were 53-29 and 29 last year, third in the Western Conference overall. Their offseason was just sort of tough to, to pin down for me. Uh, their notable additions include Anthony Tolliver, Hassan Whiteside, Kent Bazemore, Mario Hazonia, Nasir Little, and Pau Gasol. Their notable exits include Al Farouk Aminu, Ennis Kanter, Evan Turner, Jake Lehman, Myers Leonard, Maurice Harkless, and Seth Curry. Notable re-signings include Rodney Hood. Sexy Six, what do you got for me, Andy Bailey? First on their offseason, I, um, I've, I've posted this stat, I think a couple different articles now, but their outgoing players... Uh, are projected for like more than double the wins above replacement um, that the incoming players are for this season. So it was, it was a weird off season for sure. And I guess, I guess they felt like they needed to shake things up. I'm just not sure it was a real effective one. Um, My first question is pretty obvious. It's how much will they miss Nurkic for however long he's out? I think the timetable right now is, indefinite um so i don't i don't know when he'll be back hassan whiteside i think bridges the gap a little bit on defense uh but he's he's not close to nurkic's level as an offensive player mostly because of nurkic's playmaking that he showed last season so i think Whiteside also cannot even kind of short roll the way that uh, nurkic does yeah um yeah that's a great point i i i think they're in a world of hurt um (laughs) <laughs> this is <laughs> this is another number I looked up recently and I don't I don't remember it off the top of my head but they were something like minus 3 or 4 points per 100 possessions 
when Lillard and McCollum were on the floor without Nurkic last year. Um, he was he was a great sort of linchpin piece to a lot of what they did, and it'll be interesting to see how they adjust uh, without him. So that's that's a big one for me. To your point, can you guess what five thirty eight? What percent chance five thirty eight gives the Blazers of making the playoffs next year? Um, I, I've looked this up before, but I don't remember it. I, I'll say like forty percent, thirty seven. Oh wow! So even lower than I thought. Yeah. They they always just tend to outperform expectations, though. No one expected That's them to true. win fifty three games last year, and they did that while dealing with Nurkic's absence later in the season. I didn't even think it was a guarantee he would return this year because compound leg fractures are no joke. But I guess it happened early enough. It was it was March, right? Where he injured that? Yeah, I think it was before the playoffs, even. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. Everyone expects him to come back, is is my point now. And I just wasn't. I assumed, didn't assume, but thought there was a high chance he missed a year. When he comes back, though, it's probably valuable to get him reps. But how good is he supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, though, this team, what is what is the backup point guard situation? And the answer is they don't really have one. I don't think it's fair to expect Anthony Simons to take on a bulk of the playmaking duties. I'm also not entirely sure that that's ultimately his game he sort of seems like he can be this microwave score where he's pumping in baskets from all over the court and even off the dribble but does he have the table setting uh, ceiling of someone who can run point and so now you're looking at are we going to see lineups where Bazemore runs point Mario Hazonia maybe even Rodney Hood a little bit do they try and combine those to where they're they're kind of bigger in the backcourt now but you don't have a primary playmaker you're using Kent Bazemore and Hood or Kent Bazemore and Simons or or something along those lines I do think, though, that we're going to see more staggered minutes from C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, which is something Portland largely punted on last year. I just don't think they're going to have that luxury this year. And if they do decide to go that route anyway, that that only makes this question all the more interesting because at least you can say C.J. McCollum isn't the best playmaker, but you can envision him carrying lineups without Damian Lillard. If they're not going to give him a high volume of, of in those arrangements, though, then really what's happening? Is it, is it just Simons or are they going to get, yeah. get weird? Yeah. I think I just kind of assumed that it's going to be a three guard rotation with those two. And it's largely position or those three, <laughs> three guard rotation with two would be interesting. Um, three guard rotation with those three. And it's mostly positionless between them, but I, I don't think that alleviates any of the concerns that you just brought up. I mean, I, I think they're all still there. So I think that's very valid. Can you, I've already, can you even guess, though, what how many possessions CJ McCollum logged without Damian Lillard last year? Uh, I'll say five hundred. Less, fewer, whatever oh. you want to say. Huh? What it is was, it? It was under four hundred possessions, which was just not yeah, something that's a, that I. That's a lot fewer than I would have expected. Yeah, for sure, and so that's it. It was clear that they punted on that. I, I would expect that that number to just to go up um i've already kind of touched on my second one um it's just how much did the overhaul actually help like our rodney hood kent baysmore and rodney hood was there last year but not for the entire season but basically is is what's there now better than what they had with aminu and harkless and um that the answer for me is i i don't know i i i think that's a toss-up yeah, the, the defensive, I, I guess, if you want to use the word regression, feels like it's going to be something to monitor. Maybe there's a chance that Hassan Whiteside is a little bit better for them than Yosef Nurkic, but when you're dropping back 
on pick and rolls, Nurkic just seemed like such a perfect fit for what Portland was doing defensively. And so I don't know if you can necessarily count on Whiteside being more than a lateral move on that end of the floor. And so then what happens? Who's defending bigger wings on this team? Which was the question for me. It's, you know, you had Aminu and Harkless who both did that for them Mm -hmm. last year. So this is where overlap comes in. Does that responsibility, I guess it falls to Rodney Hood at this point. And now you're going to be asking Zach Collins, really good defender, probably to be going after a lot of mobile fours just because, yeah, Which is, sure we'll, that's a little bit scary to me. Yeah, we're he's look, there'll be lineups with him at the five. It's not like you have us on white side, but you know, Pau Gasol's a zillion years old, so he's not going to log a ton of time. But there's just going to be stretches where you have to play Collins at the four. That I, if I had to guess, that probably ends up being his primary position again well, this year. Yeah, they might even have they're probably going to have to start him at the four, right? That would be, but I'm saying just because you don't have. You know, Pau Gasol is just their backup center right now until Nurkic comes back. Yeah. So there's the doors open. But if you had to pick where he's going to log the most time, I, I think you would pick power forward. I'm not entirely sure. So who, but who is actually going to guard those bigger wings? I think it's Rodney Hood, but that's not exactly reassuring. No, it's definitely not. What's your third <laughs> one for this team? Um, I almost feel cheap going with this because it's been a talking point for I don't know how many years now, but have we have we reached the Lillard McCollum ceiling? Um, and again, I feel it it almost feels dumb to ask it at this point. Uh, like you said, they've outperformed expectations so many years. Uh, there was a while there where Memphis was always the team that I gave up on prematurely. I I, I sort of. Um, predicted their demise for three or four years before it actually happened. And now I think that's transferred to the Blazers because I've been out on them for two or three years now. And every year, Damian Lillard's absurd and the team outperforms expectations. And uh, last year they made it all the way to the conference finals. So maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit (laughs) premature uh, to predict the demise of this team. Um, But I'm, I'm very, very worried that they've hit their peak already. It does seem that that's become a question every year, not unlike the Grizzlies as the grit and grind error aged out. Yep. I'm not quite sure that we're there yet to the extent. Would you would you would you pick them as a playoff team right now? See, I don't I don't have a ton of confidence in them making the playoffs. I, I don't I haven't like sat down and, and mapped out. These are the eight teams I think are going to make it. Um, but I think Portland would be on the bubble for me. Probably fair. I'm just now where I'm at the point conditioned not to doubt the Spurs. I'm a little bit of the same way with any team that Damian Lillard's on. And so my third one, I'll combine it since there was overlap in in the last one with ours, is one, does the Hassan Whiteside signing just work out? Because that was a cultural flex by the Blazers, as others have put on Twitter. That's not me using unique phrasing. Uh, They made this trade, I think, because you have Damian Lillard in the locker room. We've seen Hassan Whiteside grouse about playing time and role not you know, and all that in Miami. That was, a, I would say, an unceremonious end. Does that work out? And then my my bigger question about this team from there, is this the year where, where we see them make a bigger midseason trade? They, Neil O'Shea has always kind of been, when he's made moves at the deadline, they've kind of been just not under the radar, but just smaller types, and they try and look to pick up value from distressed assets like uh, a use of Nurkic. But – they have some interesting filler contracts all of a sudden now. And if you're willing to trade your first round pick, you know, you could really get in to some, to some interesting trade packages. You have Kempe's Morzik expiring deal. You have Hassan Whiteside's expiring deal. 
So you you have money filler there. I don't know what player that is. A lot of people say Kevin Love. I don't really know if he helps this team just because he elevates their offensive ceiling, and I don't know that they need that at this point. Uh, they're a team to me that if Robert Covington becomes available, they need to be all over that. Filler salary and throw yeah. in two first-rounders uh, is, is just sort of a nice deal for them. I don't think that they would get involved. Let's say Bradley Beal becomes available. That package probably takes Anthony Simons, and I don't know how much value Beal adds when you have McCollum and Lillard. That would be just an insane mix of ball handling and off-ball shooting, though, if you had Beal, McCollum, and Lillard. I'm not saying they would get involved with trade negotiations. I'm just saying if the Wizards make Beal available, I do think Portland could offer one of the more interesting trade packages. It's hard to identify some other bigger names, though, that might hit the trade market. Uh, Drew Holiday would be perfect for them, but it doesn't seem like he's leaving the Pelicans anytime soon. So just looking at the contracts they have, um, their future pick commitments, and maybe they're even willing to include uh, Nasir Little in this, in, in deals. Uh, I don't know what it would take for them to give up on a Zach Collins or an Anthony Simons. It, again, it would probably have to be an all-star wing, and I don't think any one of those is going to become available. No, I do think Jimmy Butler may inevitably be unhappy in, in Miami, but that might be something to monitor years down the line. Does this team, though, have a bigger midseason trade in it? Yeah, that'll be interesting to monitor for sure. Uh, will they grade out higher on the offensive end or defensive end? Uh, I went offense on this one. I think this is another one that's pretty easy. Uh, you mentioned the loss of, and we both mentioned the loss of Aminu and Harkless, uh, versatile, switchable defenders. Um, I think I think a lot of the defensive criticisms on Whiteside have actually become a little overblown over the last couple of years, but I, I also don't think he's like an elite defensive anchor. And then the, the issues defensively with Lillard and McCollum have been well-documented. So I think this one's obviously offense. And where Lillard has gotten just a little bit better, where it seems like he makes, I don't think he's good. He makes fewer mistakes and doesn't mm-hmm. get pancaked on as many screens. It seems like uh, McCollum, uh, it just has been bad defensively. And mm-hmm. with us on white side, I, I, I probably agree with you, but he is, He's still that block chaser. That doesn't change. Uh, I would go offense as well. I am intrigued to see whether they can be a top five offensive team again, though. They were fourth in uh, points scored per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass last year. I do think they have the firepower to do it again, but there there might be an offensive trade-off from losing Yusuf Nurkic. He was just so important to their playmaking, and you don't mm-hmm. have that in any of your bigs now. Hassan White's like Zach Collins, Tolliver, nobody. Yeah, I think that's that's a huge loss. Breakout candidate for this team seems seems fairly straightforward. Yeah, I think the obvious pick here is Anthony Simons. Um, like you said, there there really isn't a true backup point guard, so he's going to get a lot of opportunity to play alongside Lillard and and McCollum. So I think it's definitely him. And he's he has to get the opportunity now. And he, you know, in the the final game of the regular season where uh, Portland ran a six man rotation, I think it was. Uh, he played all 48 minutes, just lit up the Sacramento Kings uh, for, what, what did he drop? 30, yeah, he dropped 37 points, 9 assists, 6 rebounds, shot 13 of 21 from the floor. I think I looked this up earlier in the summer. All but one of his made pull-up threes during the season uh, came during that game. So j- just, I know oh. he didn't play a ton of minutes, but that's still really funny to me. And maybe that is that game is sort of this harbinger of, I know he wasn't going up against the full King squad, um, for most of that game anyway, but maybe he is, has the chops to be that, that backup playmaker. And even if you are going to split up McCollum and Lillard more, if he's able to run point for you for stretches, that ends up being absolutely monstrous. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's the obvious one. 
strongest year-end award candidate for this team? Um, this is another one that's kind of hard, but I think it's Lillard for MVP. Even though I, I don't, I don't think he's quite gonna crack that group. But I think um, that's almost the default call for me. And it, it needs to be. It's mine as well because if they, if they end up flirting with fifty victories again in the Western Conference as it is now, and if they're a top four seed, he has to be one of the strongest candidates available. And I'm not saying it's because people expect the Blazers to be terrible, but the projection models are so low on them. People are sort of predicting not their demise, but they're asking the same question that you are and and even I am to some extent is, has this core sort of peaked? Do they have another gear? Did the changes they make, did they go too far towards the offensive side of the floor? If they end up being 49, 50, if they match 53 wins or anything absurd like that again, he, I would think he would have to be in the top three of MVP voting. Yeah, I think if all those, if that confluence of events happens, then, then yeah, he's probably in there. Offbeat lineup you want to see from this team? I went Lillard, McCollum, Simons, and his, I think it's like a 6'9", 6'10", wingspan at the three. Uh, Rodney Hood at the four and Zach Collins at the five. Small ball, funky, lots of playmaking, lots of shooting. Um, I, I wouldn't actually be stunned if we saw this lineup. I agree with you. My lineup includes four of the same, but I pulled Zach Collins for Mario Hazonia. You're just not, oh. gonna, you're not going to be good defensively in the lineup that you rolled out anyway, or maybe in any lineup that you roll out. Yeah. That's especially if it's on the smaller end, if you're pulling us on white side. So just lean into it. Let's just see what happens. If I think Hazonia needs to be hitting his threes at close to a league average clip for this to work out, but just all those guys in that lineup can then handle the ball. I would say four to all of them can be semi-reliable spot-up shooters. Just let's see what happens. Just try it for stretches. If you're not, if you're bottom 10, bottom seven defensively anyway on the season, just roll it out. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, If they play Hazonia at the five, I'm going to be very happy. They might have to play Hazonia at the one. He might log time in all five (laughs) positions for them this year. That would be awesome. Yeah. Player most likely to be traded on the Blazers. Um, I'm going with Whiteside. He, he's got a – I know that I'm not the first person to speculate about this, but he's got a big old salary that you can send out for um, maybe somebody who makes a little bit more, you know, a more switchable defender type of a player. So it's it's Whiteside for me. I want to deviate from what you're picking, but I can't because I ultimately believe Kent Bazemore ends up being too important to this team defensively, which is an issue in itself because Bazemore's always been – to me, overrated as a defender than underrated for what he can do on the offensive end. And so I don't think that you can actually afford to give him up, again, unless you're getting a Jimmy Butler back, which that type of player doesn't seem like they're going to become available this year. So it has to be Hassan Whiteside for me too. A lot of people just speculated that that's the reason they traded for him is that they could take back more salary than they would have if uh, by – having Myers Leonard and Mo Harkless. They really didn't need to get rid of them if they wanted to go after a Kevin Love or a superstar type trade. They didn't need Hassan Whiteside's anchor, so I don't buy into that, but I, I do buy into the, the notion that he is the most likely player to be traded on this roster. Where do you think they'll land in the Western Conference? I'm going with a range again, slightly higher than the Timberwolves. I'm saying 6 through 12. Oh, my God. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a lot of room for them to miss the playoffs, obviously. 
I would say that's a fair range. I'm going to say they finish fifth in the West. Now, if you're uh-huh. asking me to guarantee that there are going to be, you know, let's say six to, to seven teams that they're in front of in the West, I can't do that. But I don't think that they're clearly inferior to anyone in the West. I mean, if you want to throw the Lakers and the Clippers in there, yes, I'll go with that. I, I don't even know how much worse they are than the Denver Nuggets or the Utah Jazz, but those are two teams that I would also put in front of them. I could see maybe the Golden State Warriors finishing in front of them as well. And I, Again, I think you could talk yourself into a bunch of teams finishing in front of them, but the only guaranteed ones I think would be the Lakers, Clippers, and I'll stretch it to the Nuggets and Jazz. And so I'm just going to throw them in fifth because they've outperformed projections, I think, every year for the last 25 decades or whatever it's been. <laughs> so uh, that might even constitute a bold prediction at this point. Yeah, my bold prediction is the inverse. I, I'm going to go ahead and say they missed the playoffs. How about that? Holy fuck. That's just, <laughs> wow. So if you had to pick between and I, the Blazers and And I preface and Spurs, that or or I, I the opposite of preface that by saying uh, what I said earlier. I've I've been predicting the demise of the Blazers for two or three years now and have been obviously wrong each time. So um, take it with more than a grain of salt. Take it with a rock of salt. A rock of salt. I like it. My bold prediction is going to be, wait for it, that this is the year they trade their first round pick and nor make a blockbuster deal at the trade deadline. I, I think it's going to be a higher profile trade than anything we've really seen from them in, in recent history. I don't know what the player is going to be, but there are always, you know, as we get into December and then closer to the trade deadline, there's always players that pop up and I think it's going to end up being someone that we're not talking about not Kevin Love not Robert Covington I just feel like there's going to be a surprise move uh maybe it's not a surprise at the time because we'll know we'll have a better feel for which players are available but this is I won't call it all in but I think they'll be good enough to talk themselves into to giving up their uh first round pick or just making an an overall blockbuster I can see that final team in the northwest division the Denver Nuggets 54 and 28 last year they didn't do much this offseason, but they didn't need to, and they actually wound up having one of the better offseasons. Their notable additions, Bol Bol and Jeremy Grant, notable exits, Isaiah Thomas, Trey Lyles, Tyler Lydon, notable re-signings. They extended Jamal Murray. I think that was a five-year, $169.7 million deal, uh, close to the max, I believe. I don't think that's quite the max. So their their offseason was, ju- was just good, but... I still think there are people who wonder whether they have a high postseason ceiling. What do you have to kick off the sexy six, Andrew D. Bailey? What uh, what does Michael Porter provide? He's played one preseason game so far. He was limited to only second half minutes. They're trying to sort out a big log jam at the three, and so they played two of their options in the first half, two of their options in the second half. He was hitting fadeaway, turnaround, long twos, and chirping at the opposing bench and um, <laughs> his shot selection was not great, but he actually looked pretty good to me. Um, and this is, again, this is not, you know, revelatory or anything, but uh, if he, if he's even good, uh, forget like great right off the bat. Cause that's obviously pretty rare for a rookie, but if he's even good, um, Denver goes from scary to whatever's after scary. Super scary. (laughs) There you go. So mine will step on the toes of that then, because I think if he is good, it sort of becomes a quandary of, 
can you run out more small ball combinations? Since I, I think Jeremy Grant's going to lock plenty of time at the three and is as positionless as, as defenders come on the wings. But it does seem like he's best suited at the four. And there were even lineups in OKC where he played the five. Will Denver get to those minutes where Paul Millsap is the five or Grant's the four, maybe even Grant's the five? It's They have Nikola Jokic. I understand that. But there are going to be minutes when he's not on the court. Are they still going to favor Mason Plumlee as the backup center? Or, in my opinion, I think it should be Paul Millsap is just your backup center. And then maybe that opens some minutes for Jared Vanderbilt. Should you be going Millsap, Grant in the front court? And it almost becomes a must if... Michael Porter Jr. ends up being good. So, because he could lock some time at the four, but then he's also your three. I, I want to see more small ball from Denver. And again, it runs counterintuitive to having Nicole Jokic, borderline top five, definitely a top seven player in, in the NBA right now. Still, there are going to be minutes when he's not on the court. Yeah. Um, I can I can definitely see that. My next one is, it kind of goes along with that, is what is Jeremy Grant's role? Uh, specifically, I want to see him play some five two. Uh, but like you said, he's a guy who can really log time in at least three positions, three, four, and five. Um, and and you need Jokic out there for you know at least 33, 34 minutes a game. Um, but they do have some creative or potentially creative things that they can do with the five. In addition to Grant, there, I actually think it might be interesting to even see some Porter minutes at the five. That could be fun. Um, cause he's, you know, he's six ten, and, and in today's NBA, well, what is that without shoes? That might be six, <laughs> four. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, Jeremy Grant specifically sort of what's his role and is it just, you know, he doesn't really have a role. He just kind of fills holes all over the roster. Good observation. My second one's going to be, what does Will Barton look like this year? Just after dealing with that core muscle injury last season, he was not good. Did not get to the rim as frequently his free throw attempt rate plummeted he was nowhere near as efficient from the field and if he's not going to be you know he can play make a little bit but if he's not going to be giving you instant offense off the dribble whether it's on his pull-up jumpers or, or getting to the rim in the line uh, that becomes a problem uh he's not you know y- you can use him as a wing insofar as he's performing up to snuff offensively but if he's not you can't he doesn't play well enough defensively on a regular enough basis anyway to then continue giving him a bulk of those minutes. And all of a sudden that contract then, it wasn't looked at as a steal when they gave it, but I I think that you could have said it it was market value. And now, including this season with three years and $41.2 million, you have a a miniature financial roadblock on your docket. And they need a bounce back season from him. They don't need it offensively. They they just need it because he's he's commanding more than, substantially more than the mid-level salary. And if you're going to commit that much, to an asset, uh, you need you need him to deliver. Yeah, I'm worried about Will Barton. Um, I I almost feel like the one good season he had in Denver might have been an outlier, um, and now he's got health problems to go along with it. So he the, he's a big question mark. That's a good one to identify. Um, my last one is kind of similar to what I said about Towns, but it's just if there's a next level for Nikola Jokic, what is it? And I think it's the same thing. Um, if he becomes a little bit more consistent on defense, he's, he's even better, which is probably hard to imagine. I don't think he's going to become this, you know, top tier rim protector or anything like that. Um, but maybe he gets a little bit better in the pick and roll. Maybe he moves his feet a little bit better on the perimeter. Um, I don't think those things are out of the question. 
my last one wants to be, will Jared Vanderbilt see substantial court time? And I don't want to be just too niche there. I'm actually going to say, does this team, the same as the Blazers, have a, a big mid midseason deal in it? They look like they're built for it a little bit. Barton, if he's playing okay enough, is good salary filler. Mason Plumlee's expiring deal, $14 million. And then you can justify giving up a Michael Porter Jr., even a Gary Harris. If you're bringing someone back, the popular suggestion has been Bradley Beal. I'm not going to lie. This is where I'm going to sort of deviate from consensus. They would be a team that I'd be interested in, in seeing Chris Paul on. If you can just cobble together salary filler for salary filler, and it starts with probably Plumlee and Barton and then someone to or, or two to make up the difference uh, with money coming out with Chris Paul's salary coming out of OKC. Uh, he is making this year $38.5 million, and so it has to be maybe another sizable one. But I'd just be interested. I know I guess it takes the ball more out of Jamal Murray's hands, but if he's – not on the superstar track. Maybe you don't want to get into the Chris Paul deal. If you're not giving up Porter Jr., Gary Harris, or Murray, I would consider going after Chris Paul if I'm Denver. I I would be more worried about taking the ball out of Jokic's hands. Um, I don't I don't think it would be like destined for disaster. But I'm not as high on that as as you are. Because you're a hater. A, a <laughs> lower key one would be if Milwaukee makes Eric Bledsoe available and you can get him. For mostly filler, just for he's what an he interesting one with Jokic. I think yeah. his cutting ability with Jokic could be interesting for sure. And then what he does, you know, defensively, borderline all defense guard, yeah, at least in the East, for sure. Are they going to grade out higher on the offensive end or defensive end? Uh, I think this one's pretty easy. Offense. Did we go? I'm I'm with you. Did we go all offense on this podcast? We did. I think so. Yeah. I don't know what else are you supposed to pick. So. No, with these three teams, they were all pretty obvious. Denver was seventh in offensive efficiency per per clean the glass. They were eleventh in non garbage time defensive efficiency, though. And I think they. I was actually going to say seventh felt like an underachievement for them last year offensively. I think they should be better than that. My guess would be yes too if you're expecting Jamal Murray to take steps forward. But again, if if Will Barton isn't playing well and you're giving actual reps to MPJ and, and he's not playing well, I could see it being similar or. Or falling, and their defensive ceiling just might be higher overall because you add Jeremy Grant. So, I I think of the teams looking at the Blazers, Timberwolves, and Nuggets, Denver is the most likely one of the of the three team gaggle to have a better defense than offense, which is kind of bizarre to say. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of funny. Um, that's that's a big part of their ceiling, though. I mean, if they can replicate what they did defensively last year, get a little bit better than. Um, that's when they become legitimate title contenders. Breakout candidate for this roster. I think this one's pretty obviously Porter. Um, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of turnover on this roster uh, this summer, so we know what a lot of these guys are um, other than Porter. So he's he's kind of the natural one there. I'm kind of tempted to go with Jamal Murray. And I know he kind of has the numbers last season of someone who isn't slated for a breakout now in the following year. But they just need him to be more consistent this season and to put up second star numbers. Uh, and I'm not talking, you know, he might need to score over 20 points a game, depending on whatever drop off you get from Will Barton. We haven't really talked about Gary Harris. He might be due for a bounce back year. But if, if his three point shooting kind of suffers again, I know it rebounded towards the end of the year. Jamal Murray, become, Jamal Murray becomes that much bigger. Can he lead lineups without Jokic on the floor? I know the offense has been typically okay during those stretches, but those lineups aren't usually 
net pluses. I'm looking to see then if Jamal Murray gets to the point where we look at his contract and say, all right, it was just even more justifiable. I get why the Nuggets, the Nuggets, wow, the Nuggets gave it to him no matter what, but is he going to sort of actualize that, that extension gamble? The Nuggets makes me think of <laughs> Nucky Thompson in uh, Boardwalk Empire. Never seen um, that show. Offbeat lineup. I'm going to go with Mon- I'm going to go very small and very positionless. Monte Morris, Jamal Murray. Oh, I skipped one, didn't I? Strong- That's what happens when I try to take over the uh, categories. Because um, you're an award candidate. I'm going to go Jokic MVP. Yeah, I don't know what else you could. Maybe Mike Malone for Coach of the Year. But you have to believe that Denver's really going to blow the West out of the, the water. And now that they're, I don't know if you would call them the most veteran team, but they've been to the playoffs. Maybe the regular season just isn't going to mean as much to them. Uh, yeah. Coach of the year would be very clearly the second one for me, unless you think that Will Barton uh, or someone else is going to contend for for sixth man of the year, which isn't absurd. They have, I think you can talk yourself into a, a few different ones, at least three, MVP, coach of the year, and sixth man of the year. Maybe even most improved player, depending on how you feel about Jamal Murray. But Jokic for MVP seems like the obvious one. If Jokic splits the difference between what he did in the regular season and the playoffs last year, and those are like his regular season numbers this year, he's going to be low 20s in scoring, 11 or 12 rebounds, 7 or 8 assists. Um, and if Denver's the number one team in the West with that stat line, he's got to be a legitimate contender. Take it one step further. They they are probably one of the, if you were to name five teams or even three or four that could have the best regular season record, Denver, I think, is one yeah, of the two in that conversation. they're in the mix. Yeah. And that would, again, bolster his MVP case. Now we're where you want to be. Off the lineup, <laughs> you're dying to see. Very small and very positionless. Again, Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, and Michael Porter. Uh Lots of playmaking, lots of shooting, um, not a ton of defense, a <laughs> lot, lot on the shoulders of Jeremy Grant in this particular lineup. But, you know, it's obviously not something you'd play a ton of minutes with, but um, just something I'd be curious to see, how positionless and how small can they get. Okay, so I'm going to go probably in a borderline detrimental direction. Will Barton <laughs> at the one. Gary Harris. You're already detrimental. <laughs> Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, Jeremy Grant. Paul Millsap. I can I can dig it. And and Will Barton, I, I kind of joke when I say that. He actually did play a lot of backup point point guard for them um in that one good season he had. So that's not it's not too wild. Yeah, and if you want to take out Malik Beasley for Michael Porter Jr., assuming he's playing well, I, you won't find gripes about that. But Malik Beasley's just another interesting thing about this team. He, he kind of showed some off the dribble wiggle, a small volume. He's but, good. Yeah, and yeah. A good catch and shoot guy. And I he can defend some threes, but that's, you know, I think right now Jeremy Grant's the only definitive player on this team that you can count on to defend true wings. Yeah. Player most likely to be traded. Speaking of Beasley, I almost went with him here because, you know, he's got new representation. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like they're going to get an extension done um, for him just because I think he's going to cost a decent amount of money. He's a good player. Um, but I, I think the size of his salary makes him slightly less uh, tradable than Mason Plumley. He's he's the pick I went with here. Same here. If you had to go with one of just their lower cost assets, where it's who are they going to attach to Plumley to maybe get a deal done? It's probably Malik Beasley. Uh, you know, having yeah. his bird rights entering restricted free agency teams might see value in that, especially because depending on the team, there there aren't a ton that are going to have cap space. A lot of them are rebuilding squads. Cleveland, Atlanta, those are two squads projected to have 
cap space. Even um, even Charlotte might be able to have some some flexibility, though it won't be a ton. So when you're looking at the number of teams that are that are going to have the money to go after him, it, it's not a lot, and so there'll be more value in having him on your books already than than there normally would be. I kind of wanted to go Juan yep, Hernan Gomez too, but I, I think Denver fans seem to be be high on him, and we'll see if he can get by playing more three now that he's healthy this year. Where do you think they'll finish in the Western Conference? Going with another range, and for this one, I'm going one through four. Um, you, you mentioned the teams already. I think it's the Clippers, the Lakers, the Blazers, and the Nuggets are all – not the Blazers, <laughs> the Jazz and the Nuggets. I was about to say, that was a quick right about after, phase. Yeah, I was going to say right after I predicted the Blazers uh, missed the playoffs. Um, but, no, that's my range for the Nuggets, one through four. Their ceiling is one. My pick for them is just going to be two. I think from the Lakers, Jazz, Clippers trio, at least one ends up being better than them. I could see the Nuggets falling as low as fourth, maybe fifth, if you talk yourself into the Rockets. I would say fifth is their, maybe sixth is their basement, though. And oh, so that, I should have I should have made the range one through five, because I think the Rockets are in that group, too. That That's my fault. Uh, it, but it does seem like this team has a pretty high floor. Maybe maybe you're still not yeah, convinced on sure. them in the postseason, but regular season wise, I think it has an extremely high floor, one of the highest in the league. Yeah. Uh, bold prediction for the Denver Nuggets from Andrew Bailey. Um, I'm going to say Jokic MVP. How about that? What that almost just doesn't feel bold enough. <laughs> well, I have I have NBA championship written down, but then I realized I think I did the same thing with the Jazz, so uh, that's off the table. <laughs> My bold prediction is that Will Barton finishes the season on another team. It's there you go. I, I'm I feel not like, sure that's super bold either. All right, fine. Well, the other one that I have written down is Jared Vanderbilt plays an actual role. Just say Jared Vanderbilt wins MVP. Yeah. All right. Jared Vanderbilt wins MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved Player, all and Sixth Man of the Year, all at, at all at once. I, I think that's the boldest take. I think. Certainly, the entire series has had. So I'm just saying, kudos they need to, to find a way to give him actual minutes. Just a rebounding machine can can run the floor, uh, and is really just I don't know. He's kind of like slippery on uh, overall for someone with his his size. I want to see Jared Vanderbilt get minutes, and so I'm trying to speak it into existence uh, like Levar Ball. Yeah. Well, the thing that's tough about the Nuggets is they have 12 or 13 guys that would play on almost every team in the NBA. Um, so it's it's just. It's tough to find minutes for everybody, but I'm with you. I think I Vanderbilt's intriguing. Um, one of many, many guys on that roster who is. Um, that wraps up the Northwest Division. If you missed our thoughts on the Jazz and Thunder, be sure to go back in the podcast feed and find that. Uh, we've we've just given you the tastiest takes you can imagine on the Timberwolves, Blazers, and Nuggets. And if you disagree with any of them, uh, again, you can – Find us or the show on Twitter. And if uh, you already have rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, we encourage you to invite your friends and family to do that. If you haven't done it, of course, you need to do it yourself. Um, and until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udri and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.